Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Because really, even though there's eight world empires here, the eighth one is really just a, uh, a second iteration or the second half. Remember how I said the Roman Empire was like Roman Empire stage one and Roman Empire stage two? And though the storms may come, I am holding on to the rock I could. How can I keep from Today on Truth in Christ, we learn about the empires of the beast. This is one of the more difficult passages in the book of Revelation. Most likely, it is referencing the following. Five have fallen refers to the five world empires before John's day. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. One is referring to the world empire of John's day, Rome. The other is has not yet come, refers to the one world empire to come, which is a revival of the Roman Empire. Now let's turn to chapter 17 in the book of Revelation and join Pastor Rob. There's ancient Roman coins showing Titus Vespasian sitting on the seven hills of Rome when he conquered Jerusalem in 70 AD. There's Roman poets speaking of it as the lofty city on seven peaks, which rules the world. And it's interesting that even the Roman Catholic Church in the confraternity edition of the New Testament, they actually claim that Rome is Babylon. In their own words, they actually claim that themselves. And it's really no surprise because the, the, there's so much of the uh, Babylonianism uh, embedded, if you will, in that religion. I've been to Rome. I, I was in Rome in 1990. I was in the, I, I, I visited the, the, the Vatican. I went in and I looked all around. I went into the Sistine Chapel and all the galleries and I seen all the gold gilded ceilings and all the statues, the incense, the darkness, the, the stained glass windows. Everything was just so kind of like mysterious. Like you, like it's almost like you can't handle this. What a mystery this is. And again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm telling you what I believe is the truth, but does that mean that I hate Catholics? No, absolutely not. There's some Catholics that I know who are born again, and they love Jesus, and they're on fire for the Lord. And I love that. I don't know why they're still staying there. Hopefully they're uh, proselytizing the others, uh, that they go, the, the church they go to. But some people do really know Jesus, and others do not. And those people the Lord loves, does he not? 
He loves them, and we ought to love them. There's no enemies. There's one enemy, and that's, that's Satan himself. But everybody else is someone we want to reach, we want to love, right? But the system is what I'm talking about. The system is apostate. The system has its roots in idolatry. Okay, it's a proven fact. You can argue with me if you want, but I won't listen. <laughs> or I'll listen, but I'll just nod and think what I believe. Okay? And I think if you look into it too, you'll find that to be true, okay? So not trying to be a, um, um, a pig. I'm not trying to be a pig here. Just being honest with you. And we looked at that, the, the seven hills. We know that these are, the, these are the seven hills, the names of them. And we looked at this map of, of the seven hills uh, on, in Rome. And Rome has been and will more likely, again, be the center of this church, of this harlot church, and others will gather around it. Even uh, Layman Strauss, um, speaking of uh, Pope John the Twenty-Third, uh, who reigned from 1958 to 1963, he said, "Since the late Pope John ascended the papal throne, there has been a growing movement toward the merging of all religions into a world church." Can you believe that? He also had a desire uh, for a one-world government and a one-world church. He called two councils for the express purpose of setting the wheels in motion toward the forming of the ecumenical church. These are things that are very well documented in history. And the Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church have consistently over the years, they've caved in on, on issues that are not biblical. They, they, they've accepted them when they, are not, when they don't have any foundation in the Bible. And we looked at, remember last week, we talked about the, the adoration of Mary, how they see her as co-redeemer with Jesus, co-redemptrix, the mediatrix, uh, along with Christ. In other words, they are both equal standing. In fact, because when you pray to Jesus, he doesn't always hear, you can go through the, the Blessed Mother. Does that sound like Jesus to you? I don't think it is. In fact, i got to share something with you. I, I, this last week I was uh, reading, and I came across this article, and it was, it was December 7th. And this article basically is a, um, it was on LifeSite News, and there's a gentleman, by the name, his, he was an archbishop, Carlo Maria Vigiano. And in this article, and I don't want to get into his, his gripe with another uh, pastor or another um, priest or whatever in the Catholic Church, but I want to read to you uh, some passages and it'll just floor you, I think, because it's, it's, it's very, um, it makes sense with everything that's going on in our world right now and um, what this passage is speaking about. But let me read to you. It says, over the course of history, this Archbishop, uh, Carlo Maria Vigiano, he said, over the course of history, Our Lady, speaking of Mary, has inter- intervened as a loving mother to warn us of the punishments that weigh upon the world because of its sins. In order to invite mankind to conversion and penance and to fill her children with innumerable graces, wherever the word of God seems to be forgotten, there the voice of the Mary most holy is heard. Now to announce a particular devotion, now to ask for sacrifices and prayers to escape pestilence and scourges. And he lists some cities, and he says, And in a thousand other places, the mediatrix of all graces has admonished us, recalling humanity, misled into rebellion against the divine law, to true repentance and the recitation of the holy rosary. Although the various times and circumstances of her apparitions change, changes, she who deems to show herself to us poor mortals is always the same, ever merciful, and ever our advocate." Are you serious? But yet, the Bible tells me, 
In 1 John, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Mary the Mediatrix. Is that what it says? No. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who paid the price. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What does it say also in John? He said, or in Timothy, I'm sorry. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. I just said that. Who gave himself a ransom to be justified in two time. And then it goes on in the article, and let me just read a couple of snippets. In obedient, and these are just phrases within the, 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 the article, and I've got the article, I can share it with you, I can text you the link, whatever you want, you can want to read it yourself. But it says, in obedience to the universal lordship of Christ, the king, we also accept venerating Mary most holy as our queen. Doesn't the Bible talk about the queen of the, of the universe, that Judah got in trouble and so did Israel? The queen, the, queen of, the queen of the universe, or the queen of the heavens, this is where it all came from. Where did that come from? Well, guess what? It, came, it went all the way back to Babylon, and they still are holding to it. He goes on and he says, every, listen, this is, this is a killer. Every desire of the mother of God is an order for us. It does not even need to be thought of as a command because our response and our desire is, and must be, to please her and give her proof of our fidelity. He goes on, this is the last sentence. It is better to die amidst the most atrocious torments than to offend the most blessed virgin and her divine son. But I don't really believe that they worship Mary at all, do you? I don't believe that they venerate her above Christ. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, right? Of course they do. It's an unfortunate thing. They need to repent because it's sin. Mary loved her son. She knew her son was the only way to salvation. The last words in the Bible recorded for us in John chapter 2 is what? Whatever he says, do it. That's the last words in the Bible. Mary, unfortunately, is in heaven shaking her head going, why are they doing this? It's not my fault, Lord. And he goes, oh, I know. I know where it came from, and I'm going to put an end to it. I'm going to destroy it. In fact, I'm going to allow someone else to destroy it, and I'll send that judgment on the great harlot, who will also be Protestantism, New Age movements, Islam probably, and also Roman Catholicism. It's all going to be grouped into one. John Lennon would be so proud if he were alive to visit this church. In another article, and again, and this will be the last one, in Culture Watch News, there's a, the title of the article is, You Won't Believe What Pope Francis Just Did to President Trump and Americans Are Furious. Let me just read a few things. Throughout history, now why am I bringing this up? Because we are on the verge of something, and some of you may not like this, but I, I'll just ask you to give me the liberty to share what I believe is the truth. I believe we're on the verge of something that's not good. And I believe, and, and, and this, this is why this article is so poignant and so pertinent and so... Um, with, uh, there's a word I want. It, it, it's, it's so with the time that we're living in. Well, let me read this to you. It says, and I'm just going to read it, uh, portions of it. Throughout history, the Vatican has tried to stay out of American politics. And it says, the election of 2020 being so divisive, many hope that Pope Francis, and he's the current sitting pope, as you know, would not get involved this time around. This is especially true since we still don't know who will be the president for the next four years. But that didn't stop Pope Francis from sticking his nose right in the middle of our current election crisis. 
According to Biden's transition team, the Pope called Joe Biden and extended blessings and congratulations and noted his appreciation. But that's not all. Biden also thanked Pope Francis for his leadership in promoting peace, reconciliation, and the common bonds of humanity around the world. That all sounds nice and good. But then it says it's worth noting that Pope Francis is famous for promoting socialism while in the Vatican. And even though the Pope decided to acknowledge a Biden's, or Biden's victory, bishops across the United States have refused, praise God, to claim Biden or Trump as victorious yet. And this is, not, this is just a, a slap uh, to the face for President Trump as he is still fighting voter fraud in the courts as we speak. But that didn't stop Pope Francis from jumping the gun to congratulate Joe Biden, who would be the second Catholic to ever hold the office of the presidency. And if Joe Biden does win this election, then it is safe to say that he and Pope Francis will be pushing some radical leftist policies together. I quote, very interesting. That's where we're headed, unless the Lord intervenes. And I hope he does. Verse 10 in our text. There are also seven kings. We've looked at this. Uh, and notice, five have fallen. And so we're going to look at these seven kings. These seven, uh, they're not only just kings, but they're also um, they're, they're, um, they're kingdoms. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has yet to come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The best way to understand these seven king, uh, seven kings primarily is, is representing seven successive Gentile world powers or kingdoms that have been on the earth. Some have tried to associate these seven kings with seven Roman emperors, but it's really forced if you, if you believe in that. I, I've looked at the list and where do you start and when do you stop? And there's a lot of, it has to really be forced to make that happen. This is less forced because really, even though there's eight world empires here, the eighth one is really just a, uh, a second iteration or the second half. Remember how I said the Roman Empire was like Roman Empire stage one and Roman Empire stage two? Well, actually, Roman Empire stage one has already occurred. That's in, in numeral six, where it's the historical Roman Empire. The Roman Empire that was concurrent when John was alive on the Isle of Patmos writing this book. And so... These seven uh, kingdoms, and, and really the, the, there's actually an eight, but it's really a, 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 an expanded version of, of seven, really. The first one was Egypt. The second one was Assyria. Babylon, or Neo-Babylon, that's where Nebuchadnezzar uh, reigned. Uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. The Greece Empire under Alexander the Great. And the historic Roman Empire, which we know was what uh, reigned and was uh, in power when Jesus was alive and also when John was on the Isle of Patmos. And then we're going to see also that we know that there's going to be a revived Roman Empire, the second half, if you will, of the Roman Empire. And then ultimately, when it talks about this, uh, notice in, in verse 11, it says, The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth. And this eighth kingdom is gonna, really going to come out of this revived Roman Empire. And it, it's a little interesting, and we'll, we'll, let's just take a look at it really quick. Because when John is writing this, notice it says, Five have fallen. And certainly, think about where he was. He was on the Isle of Patmos, and the five kingdoms 
were Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. They had already fallen. He was literally in the middle of when the Roman Empire was in. So five have fallen. One is, that one is, is the one that he is currently sitting in at the time when he was on the Isle of Patmos writing this book. So one is, and then notice the Lord tells him, and the other has yet to come. This is the one that we call the revived Roman Empire, which is really number seven, the revived Roman Empire. And this is going to initially consist of the Antichrist and ten nations. We're going to call them ten horns. These are going to be probably members of the... um, the European economic community, it's going to have something to do with that, the revived Roman Empire. These are going to be ten kings that are going to be reigning somewhere around the middle of the tribulation period, right before the Antichrist sets an image of himself in the temple. But prior to that, he's got these men with him. They are actually going to destroy the woman because, remember, the woman rides the beast. The woman, this false religious system, is using is really somewhat controlling the beast. But we're going to see later on in this chapter that there comes a point where the beast saying, you know what, I'm kicking you off my back. I no longer need you. And that's what we're reading about right now in chapter 17 is the destruction of that ecclesiastical false religious system. We're going to see it as we get to the latter part of this chapter. These ten kings are going to destroy this system. They're going to destroy the, I don't know exactly how that's going to happen, but they're going to nullify it, make it null and void. And he has to do that because he's going to set himself, an image of himself, up into a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Remember, that's when, that, that's when things get really ugly. That's the midpoint of the tribulation, and then all hell breaks loose after that as the bowl wrath judgments come in quick succession like a woman in labor pains. So, John says, five have fallen. All all of them up to Greece have fallen, and then one is. John is speaking of the one that he is currently um, living in when he wrote this. The other is yet to come, and that's speaking of this revived Roman Empire. And when he comes, he must come a short time. Remember, the beast and the, the system that he governs over are really one. And notice, the beast that was and is not, meaning he did die, he did have an assassination attempt, he came back to life, incarnate was Satan, now it says he himself is also the eighth. And notice that he's of the seven. He's of the seven. That's why I put eight here. It's really seven, but eight is really the, the, final, the final destination of this Rome, revived Roman Empire. But it really is the revived Roman Empire, and that includes the Antichrist and these ten world leaders in the first half of the Great Tribulation, right toward the middle, right, in the, right, in the, right toward the middle is when this church is going to be destroyed. This apostate church. But then... Those ten kings, or those ten rulers, are going to give their power to him. And then he is going to be the eighth kingdom. And that's what it says right here, doesn't it? The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, but he's also of the seven. Does that make sense? He was of the seven. He was of the seven. He's number seven, the revived Roman Empire. He's of the seven, but he's also going to be finally enthroned himself. All power given to him. He's not sharing that power with anybody else. Not with the ten other leaders of, of, of the Roman Empire or the revived Roman Empire. He is going to set as king on the throne. That's what the devil has always wanted. It's what he told Jesus. If you just fall down and worship me, I'll give you all this stuff. You can bypass the cross. You can have the whole world. Just bow down to me once. Let's get it on video because I'm going to loop it on YouTube. That's what the devil was thinking. And of course, YouTube will let him. So, these are successive kingdoms. Does that make sense to you all? 
successive kingdoms. There are a couple other, uh, there's really only three views to look at this. One is a symbolic view, one is to look at them as a list of popes or Roman emperors. But the, the one that makes sense, and many agree that this historical successive kingdom view is probably the best way to interpret this. And, you know, again, it could be a conjecture, but it fits very well, and it matches up with the scripture, with what we know to be true. Now, it's interesting that notice in verse 11, it says, The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven. And notice at the end, and is going to perdition. He is going to perdition. His final resting place is going to be in Gehenna or the lake of fire. What does it tell us in Revelation 19 verse 20? Right when Jesus comes back, he's going to dissolve those armies of the Antichrist who are coming against Jerusalem there in the valley of Armageddon all the way up. That 200 mile stretch is going to be filled and lined with dead bodies of men on horses. And yes, horses. And they're going to be invading that area. And notice what it says. That then the beast was captured, this Antichrist, and with him the false prophet who we read about in the other half of uh, Revelation 13, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Notice, these two were cast into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. They were cast alive and into the lake of fire and they are going to live forever in torment. He is going to perdition. Isn't that what it just says in Revelation? He is also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The finality of that is wonderful because God is all-powerful. You cannot mess with God. You cannot push him off of his mountain. I'd like to see you try it. My dad is bigger than your dad. I love that when you're a kid. Oh, yeah, well, my old man will beat your old man up. You know, when you get in a fight with a neighborhood kid, well, my old man, oh, no, man, my old man will take your father out. You know, he'll stand on the mountain, he'll, you know, and all this bravado. But this I know for sure. God wins. And guess what? Because God wins, we win. Because we are in the beloved. Aren't you glad that you're on the winning side? No matter what. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed or have a problem with that. I'll boast about that all day long because is it because of anything that I did? No. And that's why I can boast. If I boast of my own goodness, my own righteousness, I'm in a, I got, I'm in a serious trouble. I'm in serious trouble. But when I boast about him, oh, it's wonderful to boast about God. And boy, the devil hates it when you boast about God. And so be it. Amen? Amen. So, Notice in verse 12, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they resist, or they receive authority, excuse me, for one hour. This could literally be one hour, but more than likely one hour, most of the time in the Bible, speaks of a period of time. Remember, Jesus said, my hour had not yet come. But finally, it says in the upper room, remember, his hour had come. And how long did that hour last? Several hours. Because it would be several hours before he'd be taken to the cross. But that whole span of time, probably 10, 15 hours, something like that, whatever that, a number of hours, that was his hour. That was his time. Up until that point, he said, my time has not yet come. But it says there in what John chapter 13, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. And I believe that this is a period of time, a very short period of time. It could be three and a half years. When the Antichrist makes that peace treaty with Israel, he's going to, these, ten, these ten kings from the revived Roman Empire are all going to be in cahoots with him. And there's more to that, by the way. But these ten horns are ten kings at the time 
And they receive power for an hour, and they yield ultimately that power to the Antichrist. These ten kings are not to be confused, again, with the seven heads or the seven world empires that we just looked at. Two different things. In Daniel chapter 7, let me read to you something, just the first six verses. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.